listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon everyone and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Um, Today our show is going to be about the other side of reality TV. Over the last couple of months we've had a guest on every week to, to discuss various topics that concern recovery from addiction and mental illness. And it just seems like over the last couple of weeks there's been um, a tremendous amount of uh, attention paid in the media to um, the high-profile people in the throes of their addiction. And while I don't have a guest scheduled for today, I'm really hoping that all of you will call in and be guests on this show. I'd really like to invite all of you to, to talk with me about this whole concept of reality TV and at what point has treatment turned into enter- excuse me into entertainment and is treatment entertainment and what is the value of reality TV for um, for people who are in the throes of their addiction um, when I was first trained and continued to believe that um, People who have addiction disorders and come into addiction treatment, that we're, we are bound by the federal confidentiality laws, um, and pretty much cannot release any information to any, to anyone without that, uh, patient's informed consent. And a couple of the questions that I have, and first of all, let me qualify that any opinions I may come out with are my own, and they're not the opinions of Voice America or Westbridge Community Services. So um, having said that, a couple of the questions I'd like to pose to to folks are, we know we have the federal confidentiality law, which supersedes any state law, and it's very strict in terms of um, what type of information we disclose, who we disclose the information to, and the length of time that the release is, is given. Having said that, how does someone provide informed consent when they're signing the form, when they're under the influence. Most of us that have worked in addiction treatment programs have, have seen this process where you have somebody sign consent and then when they sober up, they may sign consent again because they're in a better mind to do an informed consent. The other side of this in terms of reality TV is how do you, how do you sign consent for everyone who's going to be watching the show? And what are the repercussions to having literally the whole world, um, be aware of your most innermost thoughts and feelings um, during this very vulnerable time in early recovery. I have, uh, I, I can say from my own personal belief is that treatment should be private. Um, I do not see the benefit of the reality shows that are on TV that focus on treatment or intervention. I think there are better ways to inform the community about what good quality treatment is and what good interventions are. There are so many people out there that have been victimized in one way or another by um, unethical treatment, by poor treatment. Uh, We face tremendous amount of stigma and discrimination towards people with addictive disorders and or people with mental illness. And what is our responsibility as treatment providers to to oversee some of these products that are on television, some of the, the, the beliefs 
and myths that are being perpetrated or perpetuated, I'm sorry, by some of these shows. There was a time when treatment was considered sacred, that you went behind closed doors, and what was done behind those closed doors was pretty much left there. My concern with watching these reality TV shows is that um, that's no longer true. And while some people may believe that it was great for me to participate in this show on television because I get to see myself in a different way, I'm just wondering how you all believe as seasoned treatment providers or as people who have been in recovery or gone through the treatment experience is what that would have been like for you if you were the one who was being videotaped or or monitored in such a way. So having said all of that, I really would like to invite you to call in. The number to call in is 866-472-5791. Once again, please call 866-472-5791. In terms of our our concerns around confidentiality or my concern around confidentiality, once again, is how do you provide informed consent when you're under the influence? And clearly some of the people on in these shows are under the influence. What happens after you've been on the show? What kind of follow-up is there? Um, what kind of uh, support is given to the families that agree to, to uh, participate in some of the shows? In terms of confidentiality, um, you know, what are, what is our ethical and legal responsibilities when it comes to being in the public? Um, those, for people who are familiar with self-help groups, there's very strict traditions about um, disclosing in a public level the fact that you're going to a 12-step meeting or that you're you're a member of a 12 12-step group. And that was done for for a very wise reason. And I'm wondering if, as treatment providers, we shouldn't kind of look at that tradition and see, is that applicable to us? At what point does being a celebrity and being in rehab, how does that benefit the celebrity? And then, again, how does that benefit um, the average individual who is looking to go into treatment? On the one episode that I watched of of the VH1 show, um, what I saw in the half hour that I watched, that I could stand to watch the show, was not really reflective of what I would consider, and this is my opinion, um, good treatment. I was very con- confronted. Um, I thought that while on one hand one person was getting a lot of support, I felt another person on the show was being somewhat targeted. Um, some of the, the um, uh, just some of the behaviors that were exhibited on the show, um, I did not think were were good uh, examples of healthy, thought well thought out treatment. So once again, I would like you to call in, or I can continue to just talk myself. But it would be really great to have somebody call in and tell me what are your thoughts about. Uh, reality TV, about reality treatment shows, reality intervention shows. Um, you know, is this is this good for our profession? Is this a good way to um, counter stigma and discrimination? And what, in effect, do people learn 
um, about treatment and intervention from these shows. Um, I would really like to hear your opinions on, on this subject. Um, you know, we there have been many examples of um, celebrities who have gone into treatment and um, written books about their recovery. We have William Colt Moyers who wrote Broken. We have Eric Clapton who wrote a book. We have Nikki Six from Motley Crue who wrote a book about their experiences um, in recovery, about their, their addiction. And when somebody chooses to write an autobiography, that's done by someone who is in recovery, who is, you know, doing doing so with a lot of forethought, and it's something that's that they can edit. That it, it isn't real time, quote unquote. And those books are very informative. I've read those books. I've learned something about each of those individuals, but also about the process of addiction and the process of recovery from reading those books. And I find those to be very beneficial. There are many other books that have been very, um, that have been autobiographical that have been very beneficial. Um, however, watching something in real time, to me, um, I just don't, I, for myself, I don't get it. Um, I don't understand the rationale behind making treatment entertainment. So if any of you out there have some thoughts, um, once again, you can call 866-472-5791. One of the other um, thoughts I had about reality TV is um, at what point do we as professionals have an obligation to um, boycott these shows write letters about these shows if we feel strongly that this is something that we don't think is good for our profession or good for the for the people who are being um, profiled in these shows. Uh, you know, are we using our professional associations? You know, who should be the kind of oversight for some of these shows? When we do research with um, individuals, there's an oversight board that determines whether our, our research is ethical, whether it's clinically sound. Um, should we have the same type of oversight for, for these reality shows that um, seem to be cropping up more and more? Or whose responsibility is it to make sure that people don't become victimized, to make sure that treatment programs don't... Um, step over the boundary of what's good ethical treatment. If you have any thoughts on this, give us a call. Um, the number is 866-472-5791. One of the other things that I thought we should um, begin to be thinking about are um, what standards should providers use? What standards should the media use when it comes to reporting someone's illness or recovery from their illness or their participation in treatment? Um, you have to live under a rock not to be aware of the scrutiny that um, Britney Spears has been under, uh, Lindsay Lohan has been under, um, and other celebrities that when they go to treatment, all of a sudden this becomes front page news. Do people stop having rights when they become celebrity? Do they not have a right to treatment? Do they not have a right to privacy? Um, it certainly doesn't make me feel good to watch 
people chase Britney Spears in a car, see the helicopter hovering overhead as 30 people are trying to take her picture as she comes out of the hospital. How does that help someone? At what point do we as a society begin to say enough is enough? Um, addiction and mental illness are brain diseases that are deadly. People die from these these diseases. Um, we, we have examples all around us of people who... Um, who are involved in uh, automobile accidents. You know, every June there's always um, a tragedy or involving young kids celebrating their graduation. We have DWIs every weekend where somebody is um, either um, killed or impaired for life. Certainly there are people who are um, every day affected by this illness and um uh, it becomes front-page news only because it's sensational. So please join us after the break um, for more on the other side of reality TV. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. If you're looking for a better way to clean the air in your home or office, you need the all-new ozone light. It's as simple as changing your light bulbs. The ozone light looks like a normal spiral type of light bulb. It screws in most standard light sockets, but it's not a normal light bulb. It's coated with titanium dioxide. It's completely safe, but this unique coating kills most airborne bacteria, mold spores, and neutralizes odors. Just one light cleans the air in an entire room and lasts eight times longer than the normal light bulb. If you have smokers, if you have allergies, if you have pet odors, mold, or mildew, you need the ozone light. It will wipe them out, and you have our word. If you're not satisfied with the way the ozone light cleans the air in your home, simply return it for a full refund. Here's the number to call to order. 800-380-4259. 800-380-4259. Save up to $100 now. 800-380-4259. 800-380-4259. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to One Hour at a Time. Uh, we begin our first segment about talking about reality TV in terms of how is it confidential, is it ethical, is it entertainment, and I really would like to invite you to call in and talk with me about this. We have one caller on the line right now, Melissa from New Hampshire. 
Welcome, Melissa. Hi, Mary. Um, I have uh, well, I have a, a comment and a question. Aside from the obvious ethical problems with all of these issues on reality TV, addiction, mental illness, um, the media, all of that said, I, I do have a problem with that because I think it's certainly unfair and irresponsible to go after celebrities and various problems that all of society face. But with that said, do you think that what you've seen and you've read, do you think that recovery is depicted accurately? That's another one of my concerns is is mental illness and addiction and the treatment that goes along with it depicted accurately so that to society that they're seeing what actually happens in recovery and the positive pieces of recovery and the wonderful things that can happen in recovery. Well, it sounds like you have a a good uh, snapshot of what recovery is. So I will answer the question and then invite you to um, offer your opinion as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Based on my experience, I do not think that these shows deplete recovery. Recovery is a process. It's not an event. And these shows make it seem like um, treatment is an event. And treatment is part of what happens in the process of recovery. Uh, recovery can take place over a period of months. It can take place over a period of years. And a treatment episode is just that, a treatment episode. And there's no magic bullet. There's no magic therapist. There's no magical answer to um, to treating brain diseases. It's you need a you need a number of things to come together all at the same time. The least of which is the individual's desire to change and want to change. Mm-hmm. So yeah. What, what's been your experience? Well, my experience is, at least for the most part, I think there are exceptions to, I guess, some of the things that happen. I think there have been some responsible movies made about mental illness. Um, You know, I've seen a couple that have been actually appropriate and depict mental illness in the right way. And I guess there's a big difference between that and, you know, the magazines in the grocery stores and you know, the just the paparazzi shots and articles that are just sort of hastily taken and hastily written. And, I mean, from my perspective, I watch those things and I feel such a sense of tragedy because people see these behaviors as, quote, unquote, just crazy behaviors. Um, you know, I don't appreciate that word just in general anyway. And that's how they're viewed is that, they see Britney Spears shopping at 1.30 in the morning and people are making fun of it. People are, um, you know, thinking that she's quote-unquote crazy, what, you know, she's this night owl, what is she doing shopping at 1.30? But people don't understand that that's a symptom of an illness. So I think, you know, the media is not, in, is not going far enough to say that, you know, people with mental illness aren't just out sort of wreaking havoc, they're experiencing symptoms, and these are the symptoms. And that people with schizophrenia, um, part of their symptoms are hearing voices. You know, that's why they're seen talking to themselves sometimes in the community, because they're responding to voices. That's a symptom of an illness, and that's, you know, not just sort of this, you know, random crazy behavior, as people would call it, and that's what troubles me, is that there is an education that goes along with this. You know, nobody's writing articles in People magazine about these are the symptoms of bipolar. The, you know, they're saying this is what happened and this is what happened and who knows what's going on with 
with Brittany and who, you know, all these questions about, oh, who knows what's going on and they're, they're sort of presenting it like she's out of control, nobody knows anything. Well, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of people who know exactly what's going on with her and that they're well educated and that there are plenty of good treatments that can be interventions for that, but nobody talks about sort of the responsible ethical evidence-based practices that can go with treatment and, and a healthy lifestyle. That's just well, my opinion. Right. And, and you're exactly right. You know, what we know is that mental illness and addiction are brain diseases, and that in and of itself means that when you are symptomatic in either your mental illness or your addiction or your substance use disorder, your brain is not functioning in a quote-unquote normal manner. Your ability to make um, good decisions, your judgment is impaired. Um, you may be under the influence of some type of medication that, um, you know, just renders you incapable of, of making good, healthy decisions. Mm-hmm. So having said that, what happens when when people are in the throes of their illness and, you know, people are made fun of and, and those those symptoms are, are characterized on David Letterman or Jay Leno and, and mm-hmm. there's is, is a way to, to entertain people. And once again, when, when does illness become entertainment? When does treatment become entertainment? What does that say about us in general? We know that addiction is a brain disease. We know that people recover from it. But we also know that um, the stigma and discrimination that people face really has has caused there to be a deficit in treatment. There are more people today who want to be treated for addiction than there are treatment spaces available for them, either inpatient or outpatient. We know that discrimination happens. Insurers, time after time, will deny treatment even though someone may be paying a benefit for behavioral health care, when it comes time to access that benefit, they're denied from the treatment company, from somebody who probably doesn't even have a medical background, but the insurance company say, nope, our bottom line is we're going to make this much profit this, this, this month, and so this is the amount of treatment that we're going to be able to allocate over the course of the month in order to meet our bottom line and make our, our shareholders happy. We also know that um, with other chronic illnesses, they also require behavior change in order to treat those illnesses. Someone who has chronic heart disease, chronic coronary disease, they have to make significant lifestyle changes. They may have to stop smoking. They may have to exercise more. They may have to totally change their diet in order to um, have a healthy heart. Yet, a lot, lots of times, people don't comply with all those changes, and they develop chest pain and heart problems. And as soon as they develop chest pain, they're the first ones seen in the emergency room. And they're treated time after time for whatever cardiac complication that, that they have. The same thing happens with people with respiratory diseases who don't make those lifestyle changes. And nobody ever accuses them of doing it to themselves or if they're willful. But people with mental illness and substance use disorders, it's the same process. But they're seen as being willful or if they only took their medication, they would be okay. So. so what kind of agencies are there out there that can help educate the public about these things in a responsible way? And, you know, people can go to uh, websites and read and understand more of what's, you know, what the media is, at, you know, depicting in a negative way. You know, where can they go and find out more about um, addiction or mental illness? 
Well, certainly the National Alliance for the Mentally Ill has a very informative website, which is NAMI.org, N-A-M-I.org. People who are interested in addiction treatment can go to um, the Center for Substance Abuse Treatment, uh, which is part of the National Institute of Health. They can also go to the Center for Substance Abuse Prevention. Um, they can go to NADAC, the Association of Addiction Professionals, .org, where there's links to many um, substance abuse organizations through that. They can go to the American Society of Addiction Medicine. They also have a website. They can go to the National Association of Addiction Treatment Providers, um, which also has a website. Just Google, I mean, you can Google addiction or mental illness and you'll come up with a lot of evidence-based practices. If you're looking for evidence-based practices for co-occurring disorders, um, the Dartmouth Psychiatric Research Center is another source for um, information on evidence-based practices. There's a COSI, there's the Co-Occurring Center of Excellence that the, uh, SAMHSA has that also talks about uh, co-occurring disorders. And I think what's really important is that if you're really looking for help, every discipline has a code of ethics. So the American Nurses Association has a code of ethics. The American Medical Association has a code of ethics. The American Psychological Association has a code of ethics. Social workers have a code of ethics. As do addiction professionals. Go to the website, check out the code of ethics, and make sure the addiction or the provider that, that you're looking to engage in treatment with is adhering to those code of ethics because that's really important. Okay, Consumers have rights. Patients have rights, and it's important that they understand what those rights are. So thank you, Melissa. Great. Thanks, Mary. Okay. Um, anybody else out there? We would love to hear from you. The number is 866-472-5791. Do we have any callers? Hello, Mary? Hi. Yes. Hi, this is Kevin, and I'm also in New Hampshire. Hey, Kevin, how are you? Hey, doing well, thank you. I'm glad you brought up NAMI and also brought, glad you brought up the uh, issue about uh, folks in the, in, the, in the media like Britney Spears. It's just It seems unconscionable that somebody would be literally tried in the media and for entertainment purposes based on their symptoms. Like the, the model that you present about... Um, how differently folks are treated for the symptoms of their illness, whether it's uh, um, heart disease or versus you know a mental health or an addiction issue. I mean, it really is unconscionable how differently they are treated uh, medically in the media, and e even when in the example that you brought up about uh, the healthcare uh, corporations in their bottom line and how they manage that bottom line in relation to, relation to different people's uh, treatment needs. And it's just it's really frustrating to see somebody like a, a Dr. Phil out there who's supposedly under these uh, codes of ethics, you know, as a, a professional but also a media person. And he would go and, I don't know, seemingly utilize a situation for uh, possibly ratings and may possibly even be violating um, Britney's rights, whether it's under HIPAA, just uh, basic confidentiality, ethical standards, 
and it just seems like a huge mess. And it just it's it's really hard to to watch. Your last caller had mentioned something about uh, you know watching some of these reality shows, and it really is watching uh, a tragedy unfold. And it's on such a public level that it doesn't seem that folks who are in that kind of a spotlight would even get a fair shake or even a f- uh, fair access to treatment that would work. And I just I'm wondering what you'd have to say about professional accountability ethics in working with somebody who could be, you know, in the media, someone of notoriety. Um, that's a really great question, Kevin. And can you hang in there during the next commercial? And I'll be happy to answer that. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, Family Center Recovery for Co-Occurring Mental Illness and Substance Abuse Disorders. For the most current and up-to-date information and options in childbearing, family health, and parenting, tune in to Celeste Ranese's Timely Topics in Childbirth, broadcasting every Wednesday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. If you don't know your options, you don't have any. Voice America Network proudly presents The Catherine Zox Show. For women, men, children, and families, Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern, to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back. Um, we have Kevin, who was gracious enough to hold during the commercial. Kevin, could you repeat your question? Let's see if I can remember that long ago. <laughs> Sorry. Um, just as far as professional accountability um, for folks like Dr. Phil, when they do um, seemingly go over the line as far as it looks like he was utilizing an opportunity for his show's benefit and not for someone in need's benefit. And as a professional, that just seems appalling. And I'm just wondering what your uh, opinion is on something like that. Well, my opinion on that is I agree wholeheartedly with you that it is appalling. 
I think part of the problem here is that there are no national standards by which any of us have to adhere to regarding some of these uh, quote-unquote reality-based television shows um, because they are quote-unquote entertainment or they're quote-unquote simulated. Um, however, they seem pretty real to me. And I think that if we had national standards, if we had an oversight board that would have to um, approve or could sanction there was some way to sanction some of these people. I don't, I don't understand. Like you brought up Dr. Phil, what made Oprah decide that he was the best person on the planet to to uh, go to for all the advice? That I mean, she's provided him a national stage on which he's, to me, been kind of uh, the jury's still out on whether he's really helping people or he's just you know providing entertainment and making a big name for himself. I think part of what happens with some of these shows is that people's egos take over and it's more about them and less about what's good treatment. And um, and that concerns me. I, I think that we have a, an ethical responsibility that um, hopefully everybody wants to do the right thing. However, there are times when we're all kind of taken Back, I, I was um, went to uh, Vietnam and Cambodia last fall, and we went to visit some treatment programs. And I felt very uncomfortable taking pictures of the of the people in the program. Yet other people that were professionals with me um, were snapping pictures all all over the place. And and that was just a personal choice that we made. But I just didn't I just didn't feel comfortable doing that because they didn't understand the language that I was speaking. I didn't feel like um, I could really tell them what I was going to be doing with the pictures. And so for me, it was just not something I was comfortable doing, but other people were. So I don't know who was right, who was wrong. I don't know. Um, but I do know that people are getting exploited in, on a national level um, by some of these uh, quote-unquote professionals. And I'm not sure where where's the medical society that allows some of these things to happen. Where's the you know, the psychologist association that sees these things on television. You know, we just had um, Heath Ledger, who was this you know, great young actor, pass away. And when you look in the paper about the medications he was on, he was on six different medications, all of which were prescribed. Well, who's responsible for that? I mean, he, he had to get those prescriptions from someone. You know, where who's holding the pharmacies accountable when they see people on medications that are contraindicated or that have a synergistic effect. Who's holding the doctors responsible for what they're prescribing? We know that most of the people that are going into um, methadone clinics or that are getting opiate replacement therapy are not heroin addicts. There are, there are under 200,000 heroin addicts in the country. Most of the people who are addicted to opiates are as a result of either poor pain medication management or um, diversion from um, prescribed medications. So, you know, what's that about? Why is there no accountability when we spend billions of dollars on the war on drugs, but we don't do anything to enforce pharmacists or physicians? So that's kind of a long-winded answer to your question, Kevin. Did I lose, did I lose you, Kevin? Okay, Kevin has decided to uh, go back to whatever he was doing. So thank you for your call in. I guess hello? like, hello. Hello. Hi. Hey, no, I'm still here. Oh, you're still there? Okay, sorry. We thought we lost you. Oh, um, no, so basically there's there's no uh, accountability in any 
board that would sanction um, professionals or the media that goes over the line. Right. And there's no way to sanction the media because we have the First Amendment, which means that the media doesn't have to have a conscience. They don't have to do what's right. They just have to do what's sensational and what sells. And it's very rare that they ever give a fair and balanced perspective, even the shows that say they're fair and balanced. How often, as the caller before was saying, do we hear about what are the symptoms of bipolar disorder and what are the effective treatments for it? It's more about the the train wrecks that occur as a result of somebody having an addiction or a mental illness. That's what gets talked about. But the recovery from it rarely, if ever, gets talked about because it's not good. Who's going to, you know, people don't think that that sells. Right, and it propagates the stigma. Right. Some more. That's why I'm glad you mentioned the National Alliance on Mental Illness because they've they've been uh, doing a great job as far as combating the stigma of mental illness. That's absolutely right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for calling in. Um, I would like to invite other listeners to call in. The number is 866-472-5791, 866-472-5791. When we're talking about um, reality TV, we're talking about, you know, what what's ethical, what isn't ethical, what's treatment, what's entertainment. The only thing I do know is that all this stuff does not help us convince the general public that addiction is, is a disease that needs treatment. It doesn't help us um, convince legislators that um, that this is something that they should invest our tax money in. And it's certainly not convincing the insurance companies that this is something that they need to fund in order to make the world a better place. And and that's part of all of our obligation is those of us who work in this profession or um, for people who are in recovery, it's really important to be able to stand up and say, you know, treatment works, treatment is effective. There are multiple treatments that are effective. Uh, A few years ago, PBS sponsored... um, five-part series on Warriors on Addiction, which really covered all the different aspects of addiction, um, the family perspective, treatment, recovery, uh, the history of substance abuse, and the history of substance abuse treatment. And that's what's really important, and that's the message that's getting lost here. There's There's just not one way to get sober, just like there's not one way to treat heart disease. There's just not one way to treat diabetes. There are multiple um, treatment modalities that are effective in the treatment of mental illness and the treatment of addiction. And no one has the answer. And it's not just an episode of treatment. It's what happens after treatment. Do people live in safe and sober housing? Do people live in a safe neighborhood? Do people have the wherewithal to budget their money? Do they have the wherewithal to get a job? Do they have um, sober and supportive people around them? What kind of coping skills do they have for stress? What kind of refusal skills do they have when somebody offers them a drink or a drug? Uh, These are the things that really support recovery. While the episode of treatment can propel someone in a good direction, it's not the end-all and be-all. Or one hour or one episode of outpatient counseling may not be enough for some people. There are some people who have what we call kind of spontaneous recovery. And these are the people who can stop drinking on their own, can stop using pot on their own, and they go forward with their illness, with their recovery. But most people need help, and most people require multiple episodes of treatment in order 
to get full recovery, just like most people with diabetes require multiple episodes of treatment. Most people with heart disease require multiple episodes of treatment. And that's what's so important. These reality TVs don't show that. They don't show that there are other ways, uh, other treatment that works. They don't show other people getting well. Um, it's all about one treatment center or one treatment provider, and that isn't, it's not representative of of what is um, good and ethical treatment. Um, so I would really invite you to call in. The number is 866-472-5791. Um, please call in and let me know what your thoughts are. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. The incidence of autism has increased at an alarming rate. Autism One, a conversation of hope, hosted by Betsy Hicks, illuminates how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Autism is treatable, and given appropriate therapies, children are recovering. With well-known researchers and doctors, members of Congress, and expert service providers from a wide range of disciplines, Betsy offers interviews and insights highlighting the progress in areas related to autism spectrum disorders such as biomedical research and treatment, communication, education, and behavioral modalities, adult services, sociological and philosophical issues, and legislative advocacy and insurance concerns. Autism One, a conversation of hope, broadcasts each Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Autism One, a conversation of hope. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to our last segment of One Hour at a Time. Today we're talking about reality TV and the ethics of that, how that affects confidentiality, and what our role is as treatment providers to um, either support or boycott or um, somehow do something to make sure that other people don't get victimized in this way. And, and once again, I want to say these are my opinions and not those of... Um, one hour at a time, or Westbridge. I 
just feel really strongly that we have an obligation. Um, doctors have an obligation. I'm a nurse. I can I know a lot about what happens in doctors' offices and after surgery. And you know, doctors should should do drug screens before they prescribe people some of these medications. They should really see what their patients are on before they prescribe a painkiller and benzodiazepine. Some of these other medications that get people into so much trouble. You know. Sleeping pills, why don't we have other alternatives for sleep? Sleeping pills are only effective for five days anyway. So why not teach people good sleep habits? Why not um, teach people to um, deal with anxiety in, in more holistic ways? Doctor shopping, there's ways to find out if people are taking other medications. You can drug screen them before you prescribe something for them. You know, doctors have a responsibility, and who's holding them accountable for um, for their prescribing practices? Uh, who's holding pharmacists accountable? Pharmacists know if you've got five or six different doctors prescribing for you. They're aware of what's going on, but who's holding them accountable? You know, we're, we're taking all this money and, and doing the war on drugs, but the biggest pushers of medication aren't the people that are, that are in the streets. You know, we have drug companies that are that keep making this this stuff, even though some of it is just downright um, not helpful. We also know that uh, people with addiction um, are oftentimes more likely to become addicted to other medications. So that if you if you have an addiction or your one of your loved ones has an addiction, it's important for you to become an informed consumer. And just because a doctor prescribes something for you doesn't mean necessarily mean it's okay. And it's important for you to ask all the right questions. How will this affect my um, my disease of addiction? How is this going to affect my brain? Is this addicting? What will happen if I don't take it as prescribed? And if you do have to be on a medication that's um, that's addicting, if you've had major surgery or you need to be on a benzodiazepine, take it with. Make sure someone that you trust is there with you and that you only take it as prescribed and that they're there to help you to take it as prescribed and that you only take it for the time that you absolutely need it. And as soon as you can start taking something else that isn't addicting, take it. Um, sometimes it's really important that, that you just you know, be your own best advocate because oftentimes physicians aren't trained in addiction so they don't understand it. Nurses aren't always trained in addiction, and they don't understand it. And there's this myth out there that if the doctor prescribes it for me, then it must be okay, and that's not necessarily true, which is another thing that happens with um, celebrities, that they have access to um, a lot more physicians than the average person does. Elvis Presley was a good example of that. Um, he was on all kinds of medication when he died, all of which was quote-unquote legal, but it killed him just the same. So uh, when we talk about reality TV and we talk about celebrities who are in the throes of their addiction, um, I would really like us to start rethinking this. this. This is not entertainment. These are people that need help. Britney Spears needs help. She doesn't need to be photographed, and she doesn't need to be on the Dr. Phil show. She needs clinical help. And I would like to invite all of us who are professionals to really begin to go back to our professional associations and say, what are we doing about this? Are we just going to sit back and let this reality TV take over our profession?
physician take over what's, what's good clinical care. When, let's stop treatment being a form of entertainment. Let's let treatment go back to being treatment. And let entertainment be good movies like Clean and Sober and other good movies um, that deflect addiction when a man loves a woman. There's a lot of good movies out there that um, deflect addiction that get the point across to what to what happens when people suffer from addiction and mental illness. A Beautiful Mind is another great movie um, that comes to mind. Let entertainment go back to being entertainment. Treatment being go back to being treatment. This uh, this is a this is a very disturbing trend that we have, and I would really encourage you to write to some of the TV shows, write to Oprah, write to Oprah Magazine. Um, write to VH1, write to A&E, um, write to anybody who you think will listen and just tell them that this is not good. This is not what we want our clients to have to experience. Let's try to take control of our ethics and our profession before um, this just gets spun into, oh, it's okay because it's on TV. My son's 20 years old. He watches VH1, and he said to me the other night, he said, you know, I think this show is really entertaining, but is it ethical? And so I thought, wow, he's 20 years old, and he's questioning whether it's ethical or not. So that's got to tell you something. Um, I hope you will all uh, think about reality TV the next time it's on. Watch it. Let me know what you think. Send me an email. Call in at a later show if you want to talk about it some more. I would really like to hear your opinions. Um, this isn't going to go away anytime soon. There are sponsors for this for these shows. Watch them. Write to the sponsors and say, this is not how we want to see treatment intervention being depleted. This does not help anyone. Um, write to the treatment centers that are being depleted on these shows and tell them what you think. Um, there are some things that we can do that can make a difference. And let's try to work with the entertainment industry to provide good overviews of addiction and treatment and recovery. And let's try not to make any superstars in recovery and addiction treatment because it really does take a village and it takes a lot of different things coming together, housing, work, social supports, self-help, mutual help, outpatient counseling, inpatient counseling, all kinds of things. Uh, pharmacotherapy for uh, for addiction, whether it's naltrexone or buprenorphine or um, antabuse or acamprosate, all of these things can be helpful, but anything in the, by itself doesn't really work. So it takes a village. Let's really try to, um, to make a difference here and have reality TV go back to being entertainment and not being about treatment. So um, do we have any callers? Okay, the number is 866-472-5791. All right. Um, one of the things that uh, one of our call, one of the folks that called in brought up was the whole concept of um, evidence-based practices and what works and what doesn't work. Uh, there's all kinds of things out there that we know that are effective treatment for addiction. We know that there's pharmacotherapies that are, that are effective. We know that opiate replacement therapy can be effective. We know that contingency management <coughs> or motivational enhancers are effective. We know that cognitive behavioral therapy is effective. We know that 
12-step facilitation therapy is effective. We know that going to um, self-help groups is very effective. We also know that um, having a job and having a role in life is very effective. We know that the longer that someone can stay in treatment, the better the outcome. So regardless of what kind of treatment you're in, the longer you're in it, the better the outcome is going to be. Unfortunately, Long-term treatment, insurance doesn't pay for it. There are very few long-term programs that are even federally funded anymore. So that the more we understand what works, unfortunately, it seems like the less people are willing to pay for it. This is another instance in which people with substance use disorders are discriminated against. <clears throat> it's really important that we begin to stand up and, and talk about these forms of discrimination so that it stops, so that our, our family members, our coworkers can get the help they need when they are in the throes of their addiction. For every one person that has an alcohol or, or a substance use disorder, we know that that person affects four other people. I would like to suggest that everyone out there listening has a close family member or close friend or associate that's either in recovery or in the throes of their addiction. We all know what that's like to be around someone. It's very painful, but it's also something that can be, it's a disease that can be treated, and it can be treated very effectively. However, the message that we keep getting in the media are all the train wrecks of all the people that, um, that, are, that are ill. Before doing the show, I just uh, Googled celebrity rehab, and I came up with uh, five people, celebrities, who entered treatment this past week, and it's like, well, that's nice, but that's really not news. You know, the news is is that people have a chronic illness, and they need multiple episodes to recover. So this, that's our show for today. Thank you for listening. If you have any opinions you'd like to offer or if you'd like to call in at a later, later date and talk about this, um, I'd be happy to uh, talk with you. So thanks for listening. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week when we'll be talking about um, treating older adolescents, the the 18 to 28-year-old group that most of us find so challenging to, to treat. So have a great week, everybody, and I'll talk to you next week. Thank you. appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.